Hello and welcome to Open Door Films. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Spotify for Podcasters. Spotify for Podcasters is a podcasting app that lets you create your own podcast by simply recording yourself and then publishing it across multiple platforms with just the click of a button. It's that simple. You just got to click at the sign up link down below, record yourself, and then press the publish button. And within a matter of hours, your podcast episode will distribute across multiple platforms at the same time. That includes Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Lisbon, CurioCaster, PodFreeze, and even the second sponsor of this podcast, that being Fountain. Fountain is a podcasting app that actually allows you to listen to your favorite creators, but in the process, you're earning Bitcoin as you do it, which is a great thing because it's literally like as if you were to go to the movies, and instead of having to pay a ridiculous amount of money for a ticket, you'd actually be being paid to watch the movie. And in the case of Fountain, you're listening to your favorite podcast creators entertain you while still earning money in the process, which is not a bad thing in my opinion because hard money is good money, and we need all of it. Speaking of Bitcoin, I've also included some Bitcoin buying links for all of you to check out, and hopefully all of you will, because in addition for, to me getting a referral award, you also get your own referral award, and you can even become an affiliate if you try hard enough, so that way we can spread the word about Bitcoin, because as I said, hard money is good money. Anyway, enough of my incessant babbling. I wanted to talk about the guest I had today, Jim DiOrio. Jim DiOrio is a former FBI agent, as well as a West Point graduate. He's also been on multiple podcasts I greatly admire, whether it includes the Julian Doré podcast, the Danny Jones' Concrete, and hopefully one day he'll be on podcasts like Joe Rogan, Lex Friedman, and Sean Ryan, because Jim is a very smart guy, very intelligent, very insightful, very wise, and very honest, down, a very honest, down-to-earth, old-school guy that just gives you that vibe, I mean, in addition to looking like Hank Schrader from, from Breaking Bad. And I'm not the first person to say that, and I'm not the most articulate, so Jim, if you're listening, I hope you didn't take that too personally. I mean, Julian conveyed it better, but anyway, in my discussion with Jim, I we discussed, well, a multitude of topics, whether it was the way social media has been being handled today, geopolitics, film, the workings of the FBI when he was in it, when he was in the FBI, as well as as well as just the current state of how the FBI is being used today. It was really just a mixture of all sorts of things that went in multitude of directions. But I kind of like that because although this is a film-centered podcast, over the course of working on this podcast, I've decided to expand my horizons by targeting individuals of different backgrounds. But then again, it's not really any different when you think about it because when it comes to film or literature, all you're really doing is getting the insights of individuals from different backgrounds. I mean, you'd be surprised that although Oliver Stone is a filmmaker or a dramatist, as he quotes himself, he does have a military record, and that itself is very insightful, and it's no doubt influenced the style of filmmaking that he's applied over the years. Anyway, I realize I'm babbling more than I should have, even though I should have stopped halfway. I hope you all enjoy my discussion with Jim, and I hope you all check out the podcast links I've left down below of the podcast Jim has been on, because they're very insightful, they're very intriguing, and frankly, Podcasters like Danny Jones and Julian Doré are really breaking into the podcasting industry and changing the game. And when you have figures as in, as intelligent and introspective as Jim or Andrew Bustamante or even Sean Ryan, you really are getting your bang for your buck, which is kind of a cliche, but I'm really running out of ways how to sell this intro. So I hope you all enjoy this episode of Open Door Films. Check out the links down below to Jim's profile, the podcast episode he's been on. And uh, enjoy the show. Well, Jim, it's I'm glad that you were able to make the time for this podcast. And uh, as I we discussed in the phone, I told you it was going to be totally unscripted because originally this podcast was mostly centered on film. But over the course of the podcast, I've learned because film incorporates multiple perspectives. I've found myself reaching out to people that have just come from different backgrounds out of my own fascination. I mean, figures like you and even Sean Ryan, who I'm surprised. I'm curious to know, have you been on his podcast? I have not been on Sean's podcast, um, but uh, it, we have kind of experienced Julian's podcast together. Um, he was on not long ago. So Sean actually was a was a guest on Julian's. And I believe we'll see he might be going on Danny's. But, no, uh, definitely. but yeah, that's how I kind of know him. 
is uh, just based on kind of mutual podcasters. But um, we'll see. You know, who knows? I, I, I am open to doing any and all podcasts because I think it gets the message out that's important to, to me and to you and to us and uh, make sure that people kind of understand what my perspective on different things is as we move along. It's important. Well, that's what made me fascinated about you, not just your background in the FBI, but I'm just more fascinated by what is your main message overall, because I know that today it's very hard for anybody to get a clear understanding of what their message is overall. And even if you mention one thing, it can jump to another and then just starts a wave of controversy that you didn't intend to. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, it really stems from the servant leadership aspect. So um, you know, made that decision early as a 17-year-old kid to go and pursue the opportunity I had at West Point. And then uh, when I did retire from the FBI, which, as you can imagine, over the course of the military career and then the Bureau, um, you know, you kind of found yourself in a situation where job opportunities were present. Um, they didn't necessarily fit what I wanted to do. Um, and not saying that the, the uh, you know, the context and the information and the value wasn't what I wanted to do, but I felt like I would lose some of the servant leadership portion. Um, and that's important to me. And what I mean by that is giving back, you know, and not all companies, not all organizations have the ability or, um, you know, even have the right people in place to kind of want to give back to the cause. And the cause for me, obviously, is, uh, you know, is within um, our veteran community. Um, is within uh, those surviving children um, that stand behind after, uh, you know, individuals give their life for this country. Um, so, so I move forward with my company, J3 Global, which allows me to do that because it's my company. So I can kind of do what I want to do. I can choose, um, you know, to, to pursue that servant leadership through um, being a value add uh, and impact to clients. And I can do a lot more of that. So I'm not just kind of regulated to one company where I'm working uh, chief security, you know, kind of um, role, which is a wonderful and a necessary role. But I think I can touch a lot more people. And that's kind of always been the goal from day one, really, from 17 years old um, to do that. What made you want to join the FBI? I mean, did you always want to be an FBI agent at that age or? Not really. Um, not really. I mean, my dad was a law enforcement guy. Um, so I watched his career. He was really very good at it. Well, respected. Uh, it, it really never crossed my mind. Uh, and then when it did, it was like, wow, why haven't, why haven't I thought about this? You know, why hasn't this been something that was on the forefront of my decision-making? So I looked into it, um, you know, did some work on it and I was like, wow, you know, th this does make sense for me. It's exactly um, you know, kinds of things that I want to do or be involved with. So I pursued it and uh, kind of forgot about it, to be honest. I put in my application, kind of went to work for another company. And then um, all of a sudden one day, you know, oh, wow, I've got, uh, you know, I've got an interview. And then, holy cow, I've got a polygraph. And then next thing you know, they're offering me a conditional employment. Um, and then the background check starts, which is an interesting process. And then next thing you know, I've got a date. Um, to a class date at Quantico. And so, um, and, and it was, I never looked back, you know, the decision when I got to Quantico on that Sunday, um, I looked around and I said, yeah, this is, this is me. This is kind of what I want to do. And um, that was really a unique kind of opportunity that came from left field, but then became very important to me. Did you have any preconceived notions of the FBI prior to becoming a member of the FBI? That's a good question. Um, I ask because I ask because I know that today, just mentioning words like the FBI or CRA, people can have some misconceptions or just a very biased view of it, and I don't think it's as it's as simple as people would like to assign it. Yeah, I think you're right. I think um, remember when I came in, the social media craze and and different things were not. Uh, didn't exist really. So what you knew about the FBI was from people, individuals that you knew that had kind of either pursued the career, um, retired from the career or were active in the career. And when I say that, I'm talking not just the Bureau, but the, the agency and all the other federal agencies that do their job so well. So it was more about uh, informational interviews for me. Hey, so-and-so, what did you think? Or 
what do you think about the job that you're doing and, and how um, how do you value that from a guy that's coming in from my perspective? How would you value that? Um, a big part for me too is there, there's a pretty, pretty large population of service academy graduates that are in the FBI. Mm -hmm. And so I had that whole group to talk to. Um, and to a man, they were like, to a man and woman, they were kind of, yeah, this is, this is really good. I think you'll enjoy it. Um, so I think preconceived, um, not really. I think more so the, the generation that's coming in today, obviously there's some challenges as we read in the news most days or we watch, uh, you know, on, on, in the media or on social media, what's going on in the Bureau and some of the issues that they're having. And so um, I wouldn't say that we didn't have those kinds of issues or similar issues back in the day, but we didn't have as much, uh, you know, pressure um, on us by watching ourselves testify in front of Congress or watching ourselves, uh, you know, be filmed in executing search warrants or executing arrests or, uh, you know, just being around um, with, you know, in the news. So I think that's the kind of thing that I wasn't exposed to, but we had similar leadership issues and that's the FBI in a nutshell. Now it's nothing more than really bad leadership. That's it. Oh, that's what I was going to ask because I wanted to know what you feel about the, the FBI in the current day, because I've listened from several of the podcast interviews you've done either with Julian or Danny of how there's this notion that it's being weaponized by political parties and, or that it's, or it's doing the opposite. It's weaponizing political parties. And I wanted to get your idea of how you view that, that viewpoint. Yeah. And, and that is a popular assumption. Um, I don't know. I, I can't sit here and give you even one example of the weaponization of, uh, you know, a political party uh, from my experience, you know, going back to my day and, and I spent 20 plus years with the Bureau, um, you know, during a pretty hectic time. Um, I, I think, leadership dictates kind of behavior and culture. And I think what's happening is that a lot of people aren't owning some of the issues that have occurred. Um, if you watch some of Chris Ray's, the director, current director's testimony on the Hill, um, you'll quickly see that he's not prepared. He doesn't have answers to questions that are pretty, if you wouldn't think that those questions would be surfaced, I, I just think you're out there. You know, I mean, I just think you're not paying attention if you're thinking, I don't think they'll talk about or ask about, you know, Hunter Biden, or I don't think they'll talk about Hunter Biden's computer, or I don't think they'll talk about, uh, you know, going after or classifying parents as white supremacists. Um, if you don't think those things are going to come up, you know, you, you've got an issue. I mean, I think the market or I think the the hot spot that I noticed um, was I, I think it was Senator Hawley who questioned um, Chris Ray, mm -hmm. and he, to him, he talked about how the last time they had met, Ray had said he had to leave after the first rounds of questioning. Now, uh, I'm not an expert on uh, committee hearings or what they do, but I do know that they usually save that second round of questioning for the tougher question. So the first round is more or less to allow that individual to kind of get their flavor and get their feet under them. And then after that, they kind of go and ask some pointed questions. Ray left after the first round, and he had to admit in this particular interview, the reason he left was because he was flying by private jet with his family on vacation. Now, to me, an organization that's already in the crosshairs needs to be perfect. You know, if that was something where Ray was doing his job, a la Louis Free, you know, my director, Louis Free, um, that would never happen because he was a workaholic. He was on top of everything. He was an intellectual smart man and he would never allow a question to be unanswered. Uh, he wouldn't leave until he was sure that that subcommittee or that um, other political body or that governmental body or international partners or police chiefs or whoever it might be, um, he would never, he would never, ever, ever um, not allow those things to be addressed before he moved on that's the mark of a leader own what's right own what the mistakes are and never take credit for the praise you know that's that was lewis free in a nutshell um we don't have that anymore. that doesn't exist everybody's trying to get to the top without really learning the job or without understanding what's important to the american people that's who we serve 
servant leader. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Based on what you're saying, it seems like you're inclined to go in the direction that it's the FBI that's being used as a tool as, as opposed to them using the political parties as a tool, because that's the accusations they've faced. And I'm just more inclined to believe that po political parties are are using these agencies as, as political tools. That's because you t tell me this guy, Chris Ray, is very intelligent, obviously, based on what you've learned, you, you know that he's very, obviously a credible member of the FBI, but yeah, he's behaving. It looks like an attorney. You know, he's he's a smart guy. He's a good attorney. He's a smart guy. But he's but, contradicting himself. Yeah, and he's not prepared. You know, he's not prepared, and that's a job. It's a ten-year appointment. Think about that. The FBI directorship is not. Uh, it's not a political. It's an apolitical appointment. So that person stays for ten years. Now they can choose to leave, or you know, they can choose, a president can say, look, I really don't think, uh, it, like we saw with, with Comey, right? We saw Trump fire Comey. Um, mm -hmm. But it's not, it should never be tied, just like the Joint Chiefs, it should never be tied to one political party or another. Um, but when you're just not capable of putting forward what your mission is as an agency, as a, as a, as a bureau, um, to those who are asking questions, rightfully so, and looking at all the mistakes you've made uh, and forgetting a lot of times about the good that you've done because the rank and file of the FBI, that doesn't, they don't fall into place here. They don't, they don't deserve to have that kind of look on them, uh, that kind of stink on them uh, like the leadership does. But the leadership does, should step up and accept this and they're not, um, they're not. And I, I have no patience or time for that. I'm Frank. The only fascination that draws me to this is the fact that I learned about the Hunter Biden story by what, listening to the Glenn Greenwald story. And you've I've met, heard you mention you think he's that you've mentioned how relentlessly is when it comes to criticizing both agencies and politics that there is an absurdity to it, because just the way you're describing this guy, Chris Ray, it seems like he's just following orders, whatever orders have been given to him, as opposed to just abiding by the principles of the bureau you you understood i mean i don't know how the cia is at this current stage because i know that from your discussions of bustamante even he has criticisms of the cia and how it operates oh sure i mean listen we it's easy to be uh that monday morning quarterback a lot of times but we also understand the inner workings of our agency and we still have reach back to our agency so that's that's important for me is to kind of understand because I still have a, a lot of friends that still serve in the FBI. And I doubt um, they're happy. I mean, the motivation, the culture, the, the, you know, the morale is not great. Um, and that's not good because it's a really tough job. It's a hard job to do period, but it's a harder job to do well. Um, and so there's so many dedicated government servants that are continuing day to day to do the job and to actually do it well, do it with integrity, uh, do it with honor, do it with empathy. Um, and I think that's what we now as an American public don't get an opportunity to see those wins, you know, to see those victories, to see that integrity, you know, to see that honor, um, to see the duty concept that goes with that. What we're seeing is, is several of just, you know, the bad actors, you know, the, the Peter Strzok's of the world, um, you know, the Andy McCabe's of the world, um, not good. And that's, what's going to be publicized. And that's, what's going to go forward. Just read a story today about there was a, I think there is a supervisor with our Newark Delaware office, which is a sub office. I imagine of either Baltimore or Philadelphia. And that guy kind of came out as a whistleblower and said, hey, you know, the whole Hunter Biden uh, deal, that investigation with regards to his IRS and his tax holdings um, was covered up. That I think I just saw that pop today at some point um, this morning. I didn't get a chance to really do a lot of research on it. But, um, you know, those are that's bad. Like that's, that's incredibly bad if the FBI is coming out and saying, hey, somebody because obviously it wasn't him that covered it up, but somebody above him did. Um, or somebody in the DOJ, uh, you know, did, uh, attorney general's office, um, whatever that might be. So that's where the bureau, I read it, I kind of understand it. Uh, the average, you know, uh, lay person with regards to FBI, 
um, kind of looks at it and says, wow, the whole organization is corrupt. Look at that. They covered up the FBI. You know, they covered up the Hunter Biden. That's not the case, but I can see how that could happen. I can no, see it's how- more complicated. I can understand. And this may be, this is coming from someone who is not involved in the FBI and has pretty much learned information about the FBI from watching movies. But I've watched a lot of espionage and spy films and the really great ones. What they do is they throw a confusing plot at you, but not because it's bad writing because it's ultimately showing that world that they inhabit. It's a world of intelligence where one secret can lead to another and you just get a load of mixed messages that all the characters are thrown into total psychological disarray. There's a film I recently saw with Matt Damon called The Good Shepherd, which is like a dramatization, a fictionalized dramatization of the formation of the CIA during the, during the Cuban Missile Crisis. And it ultimately... There's just so there's this moment where a character played by Michael Gambon says that everything that is bent is clear and everything that seems clear is bent. Where basically any idea of truth, you're just taking your, your chances in the dark. And that's why everybody who works in those types of agencies, they're just dealing with a shit show 24 hours a day. I guess that's my amateur way of describing it. If, would you say that's a, an accurate description of? I mean, it's listen, I, I understand that you know, that kind of presentation. Um, am I going to say that it's not, uh, you know, that doesn't happen from time to time with regards to conspiracy theorists and different things that happen within the organization. But for the most part, what a lot of people don't understand and what they watch, you know, mostly on television. So mostly you're, if you watch any of the, and they're enjoyable, they're great entertainment, you know, your, um, your, your NCIS or your, uh, you know, CSIs or your um, even the FBI shows that are out there. Um, even I think it was Homeland was that story, you know, about uh, the agency. Um, it was like a HBO or Showtime, mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah, so, I haven't seen it. It's really good. It's really well done. Um, but when you look at it, uh, you know, they kind of assume that hey, you should be able to be done with that particular case in an hour or forty-three minutes with commercials. Really. You know? so, Oh, at 1 million percent. If you go to trial with a jury, they're going to wonder why you can't get, uh, you know, eye scans and you can't figure out who people are from um, facial recognition off of a, you know, a a video that they were hiding behind a car. And it's amazing what happens. They will ask the judge questions along those lines. So I think that's the issue that I have is it kind of does same thing, just like social media does. It makes it look as if we're not doing our job. The average FBI case is a couple of years. It takes a couple of years to get from top to bottom. Oh, yeah. I believe how you're here, you know? So if I'm, being, if I'm being honest, I've never seen any of those shows because I always felt that they had a, ver- a, a too sensationalized view of those agencies where they weren't giving them fair due, where they weren't criticizing them in a both positive and negative way that at least seems fair, but neutral. I guess the best way of describing it is a, in that film I mentioned to you, The Good Shepherd, one of the key questions Robert De Niro, who directed the film, was asked, is it an anti-CIA film? He says, no, I don't see it as anti-CIA. I see it as a film of a neutral point of view, where it's being told from the viewpoint of a character who's just experiencing this, and it lets you make your own determinations. And even and strangely enough, he admitted something I never thought a director would have said. It might even have a point of view I'm not aware of. And the, to me, that's a more sincere view of how to approach the depictions of these agencies from a person who isn't really ingrained in them, but doesn't want to sensationalize them in the way NCIS or CSI romanticize them. Because one problem I always have with those shows, in addition to just the sensationalist angle is that they're very static. Well, yeah, I mean, it's the same, it's the same characters. It's the same plot line. It's the same solution. It's, you know, trying to look at establishing the characters through personal life, but they're more about coming together. I, I haven't seen The Good Shepherd. I, I, I haven't. Uh, I will watch that, though. Um, you know, I think the big the big piece is there's a lack of understanding as to exactly what goes on day to day, you know, and um, in the agency, in the bureau, um, you know, NSA-wise and State Department, um, you know, I had an inside seat to all that stuff for an extended period of time in my life. And I come to realize that the dedication um, that most of these individuals show is beyond what any, you know, American, average American citizen could imagine, you know? So I think the sense when we talk about 
kind of uh, sensationalism, uh, I think social media is the worst possible thing going because they're kind of ripping up and taking con- out of context certain things that um, the bureau or even or even your 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 street cop, you know, even your local police officer that's putting their life on the line every single day, you know. So I think there's a whole mix of that. I don't know that there's any planned or organized corruption within these organizations. I don't I don't believe that. I never saw that. It's just bad apples, man. It's bad leaders. It's that's what the problem is. I will go to my, I will go to my grave talking about bad leaders, you know. And conspiracy theory. I mean, think about the evolution of that. Bustamante has a great explanation about conspiracy theories and how they start. Actually, the one I did with him um, together at, with Danny and Julian uh, a couple months ago. That he gives one of the best conspiracy theories theory like explanations you could possibly imagine. People well, are going to thank you for the back. birthday present because that was actually on my birthday. You did it. Okay. November 21st. So it was great to hear that podcast. I actually listened to it yesterday, just some do some extra research, but it was fascinating and very illuminating to know because I would definitely like to pick Bustamante's brain. He's a very fascinating figure. And he's truly a, he's a, he's a, he's a heck of a guy. Uh, You talk about a dedicated, committed guy. Uh, I've never seen someone, he, he keeps me moving forward and it's hard to do. I respect his conviction because I disagree with him on Edward Snowden, but I respect that he gives an answer that doesn't feel biased, but at least feels like it respects your own intelligence. And I admire that about people like him. Yep, absolutely. Smart guy. What I don't like are cookie cutter depictions of, well, anyone. I mean, I know that one of the subjects that comes up in Julian's podcast or any other podcast is the war in Ukraine. And this is and the minute you start having a more critical, analytical view of it you're either deemed uh, a person who doesn't support Ukraine or someone who supports Putin. And when you don't, I mean, if I was to tell you, I don't see him as a Hitler figure, I think he's a thug, but that's just such a cartoony way of approaching it rather than seeing it's a much more complex issue. Much more. That whole area has been complex for as long as uh, we'll ever be able to remember, as long as history books have written about it. You know, it's been a really, really unique and difficult area and complex. No, but nobody reads history books nowadays. I mean, the most recent history book I read was on the Spartans, and it's a vastly different depiction than what you saw in that movie that sensationalized them, 300. Fun movie, but it doesn't... But if you read about their their culture, it is far more complicated than what a film would like 300 would depict, where they're heroes, in a sense, yet into, by today's standards, as comment as respectable as we would see their culture from a militaristic angle, they can border on fascistic. Well, I mean, yeah, it's it's think about how they ruled. How they ruled violence, you know, pure and simple. Not survival, you know, survival of violence. Truly, you know, truly. I mean, we have, you know, we have the special operations community that are men of violence, but can actually turn it on and off. And, and I know many of those guys, you know, so you, you need violence. They're the guys, but they could turn it off and be family men. They could be dads and they could be brothers and they could be husbands and they could be sons, you know? And um, so it's a unique kind of challenge to have that hyper vigilance and then extend that out to your, you know, your personal life, but your professional life, you know? So how many, it always cracks me up when corporate America, you know, guys that are, um, I, I think there's a commercial about it now too, and I can't think of. Hey, you're a rock star, right? You're a rock star. Help me out with that. There's a commercial where, hey, stop calling me a rock star. Stop calling each other a rock star in business. I can't remember. There's a couple of, like really cool mus- musicians that are on that. You're not a rock star. I'm a rock star. Same thing with the warrior. Like you're a warrior. You know, you'll hear Wall Street guys. You're a warrior. Fuck that. You ain't a fucking warrior. You have no idea. You have no idea. No concept. You know, you're a good businessman. You're a smart businessman. You know how to make money. You know how to make other people money. That's who you are. You're not a warrior by any means. No, a warrior is someone that can physically and can endure all sorts of physical and psychological pressure. I mean, this is what Bustamante was talking about. That when they say people they recruit in CIA are people who can handle high, or I think he said handle high anxiety or suffer from immense anxiety. Yes, that's what it is. It's controlled anxiety. Hypervigilance is is a really is the reason when you see and I know we talked early on in the pod about, uh, you know, kind of the servant leadership, you know, helping out veterans. 
Hypervigilance is a terrible disease. It's a terrible affliction, and it's the cause of PTSD. Oh, yeah. It's, it's the cause and the consequence of PTSD. So, you know, when you have the inability to be able to sit at a, not inability, but when you have issues with sitting at a Starbucks and, and doing your computer work and having coffee and you hear a car screech and that immediately takes you back to something else in your life. How do you reduce that? You can't suppress it because it comes rushing back. So you have to heal it. And, and over time you have to do that, right? So it's kind of the same, when I look at, we talked about being able to survive situations as a warrior, being able to have that grit and to have that mindset. Um, very, very true. But you also have to remember that these guys are trained to purport, purport violence on others and then to be able to come back to the level ground, right? So never too high, never too low, just riding the middle of the peaks and valleys. And a, I think oh, go it, ahead. Sorry. It's a cool, it's a cool dynamic, uh, one that others wouldn't understand. You know, they just wouldn't understand. I love the guys and girls who have done so, have so successfully on the financial side that give back. And my favorite question from those folks are, hey, how can we help? And really, in, in, unless you're a, you're a psychiatrist or a psychologist or a, ther you know, a therapist, you really don't have the ability to help that PTSD person, right? Even in community, even with group settings, where you kind of have a group where you kind of sit around and talk about it, you have to be in it. You know, you have to have served in it in order to understand. There's, a, there's an understanding that just kind of comes from being around others that have suffered. Right. So I think when I I love the person who just says, what can I do? And I say, can you can you crack a check? You know, can you help out with this foundation or that foundation? And they love to do it and they do it freely. That's a beautiful piece, as opposed to saying, hey, man, you you know, you IPO'd the next greatest tech company. What a warrior. What a warrior. That's a total misconception. And. Another thing that, no, that personally right? bothers another thing that personally bothers me is that when a person when a person who is totally distanced from a certain community makes an immediate judgment in often derogatory fashion, they do in a way not only where they just don't understand that community, but they just they're not even willing to. I can't make I was recently listening to a podcast by Danny from Concrete where he interviewed Raymond Hicks. And I don't know how familiar you are with his story. And as much as I empathize with Raymond, I can't I can't do it in a way where I where I say I understand what he's been through because I haven't. And that would be very arrogant of me, even though I'm sympathetic to what he's been through, because I didn't grow up in the ghetto. I didn't grow up in the hood. But at the same time, I see a lot of other people judge people that came from that background in a derogatory ways so that they're immediately bad or it's, they're guaranteed to be failures rather than seeing the bigger context. And one one uh, show I watched that made me help understand this from a broader perspective was The Wire, that it's not just one bad actor or one apple. It's a whole network of shit. Absolutely, man. Yeah, I think one of the best, well-done series I've ever watched. I've watched it several times because it's that good. Unfortunately, right. only once, but it did educate me. And I think fantastic, right? I mean, it does a great job. And I agree with you, man. I think I, now was Hicks, Hicks was a pretty recent one, if I remember. I don't know how recent because I mean, I'm based in Florida, but I only learned about him yesterday when I finished Danny's podcast. Yet I don't know why I get this feeling that I've heard about him before because I saw yeah. a photo and I've seen there's something familiar about it. Maybe I've seen him before. Yep. But at the same, again, just going back to the way people judge people from a different cultural environment, you can't understand what bred that mindset. I mean, a, few, a year ago, right around the time Ukraine was still fresh, uh, this YouTuber who does psychology, I don't remember the name of his channel, although he was criticizing Putin, he was also talking about the background he grew up in. And you have to ask yourself, what kind of a mindset adopts that, that Machiavellian chess-like mindset? What kind of environment breeds that? And then you wonder yourself, can you really depict him in as cartoonish or the ways you want? I mean, I think he's a crook, but he is far more complex than people would allude to. But nowadays, as you mentioned, with social media, nobody's interested really in complexity. Surface stuff, the last thing you watched on TikTok, right? Or the last, that's your opinion. That's most, and I hate to say this because this, is, this just sounds awful, but 
most of America now is the last thing they watched or heard, right? And think how scared that is, right? Because, um, you know, you know the allegations with regards to TikTok and who's controlling that, right? The CCP and, and you know, they brought that off of the Hill. No, no uh, member of the Senate or on the Hill can have that on their phones, have it downloaded. Obviously, no federal agents are supposed to have that. They They're do not it. To, really? Yeah, I think that, I want to say that's probably a little more than a year old. Um, it was something that, um, you know, I, I know when Mike Pompeo was the CIA director and then ultimately the Secretary of State, he spoke out quite a bit about TikTok and how it's collecting information and how it's pointing information and how it's educating our youth in order to kind of turn towards, um, you know, their open ways of life, open thinking with regards to issues that are way more complex than just the story that you saw on TikTok with regards to X, you name it, it's on there, you know? And, and there's some good things that it does, right? There's some good, there's some great things with regards to faith and God and being saved and those things that are wonderful. There's some good things with regards to health, all really good. But then there's also some awful things with regards to thought you know, and how you look at things and kind of glamorizing violence. You know, uh, I mean, to me, that's just, that's the beginning of the end, you know, as far as I'm concerned. We've got work to do in this country, but it's it's just the greatest country in the world still, you know. Um, but yeah, definitely, man. I mean, I, um, I don't think we take the time. You're absolutely right about really digging deep into people, who they are, what their background looks like, what their culture is, you know. Uh, both in the house and out of the house, you know, their environmental culture, their culture in the house, their culture at their job or their school or their friend group or the people that they meet later in life. How do we experiences? You know, experiences. That's the FBI job. And when people used to ask, how, you know, who are successful CIA operatives, FBI agents, uh, business people? They're people that take the time to actually empathize and sympathize with those people that they're looking at, whether it be according to an investigation or trying to establish an asset as an asset or a source. Um, I, I always tell this story. I don't know how many arrests I made and it was numerous, but I only had one person not shake my hand at the end of the process. So everyone else, thank you for treating me professional. Thank you for being a professional. Thank you for listening. Thank you for understanding what happened. I made a mistake, terrible mistake. Yes, and you're going to have to pay for it, but it doesn't mean you're a bad person. Um, one guy, you know, one person. And I told him, hey, don't do this, man. Don't go to trial. If you get convicted, you're going to go to jail. You know, I can help you. You know, we just got to admit to the wrong and start over today and make it right. Yes, you're going to have to pay your fines. You're going to have to pay your taxes. Whatever that looks like, we can do that, right? But you can never get back the integrity that comes with, not admitting, not owning something. And that still bothers me to this day. It's, it's more, it's 15, 20 years ago it happened. To this day, I, there's, I always think about it. That's why I always talk about it. I always tell a story. One guy <laughs> would shake my hand. He actually told me, I hope you die a miserable death. And I said, is there any other kind? Like, what do you mean, get eaten by a shark? I mean, what's a miserable death? There's no, all of them are, you know, because um, you're gone. You're no longer physically present for your yeah. family. You'll be fine, but your family is going to suffer, you know? Um, anyway, I digress. I mean, I'd, uh, I completely understand because I think that a lot of the great FBI and CIA agents that are not acknowledged are those who do empathize and they're even treated as anomalies. I mean, right now I'm watching the show Mindhunter and I don't know how you would view that show as an accurate depiction of the Excellent. FBI. One yeah. thing that infuriates me in that show is when those FBI agents are trying to educate other law enforcement individuals to understand where these people are coming from, rather than just simply saying, oh, they're bad apples. Even, I mean, look, I'm never going to defend the actions of someone like Charles Manson, even, right. after, even after reading a book like Chaos, which gives you a better understanding of what was really going on with him. Granted, I will, I'd probably be on the side that would say he's probably a more moral human being than Vincent Bugliosi, because at least Manson had the excuse of drugs and psychological abuse and manipulation. Bugliosi looked like a functioning member of society, but he was really just a narcissistic sociopath. Yeah, great book, too. Yeah, you're right. Great oh, book. God, I can't wait till it's turned into a, whatever it's going to be turned into. I heard it might be turned into a film or to a series. I think it would function as a series overall. Me too. That'd be great. 
I, I would love that. And I enjoyed the book myself. But yeah, you hit a great point. And, and the point is people don't take the time. They don't take the time to look and learn from it. That There's all lessons that are in there, you know, that can help you with the next one or help you identify the next one or protect people or save people. Um, you know, servant leadership, man. That's what it is, really, in a nutshell. It's the same thing I'll go back to. Hero is missing the good leadership at the top. Now, there's guys that are... Yeah. So the breakdown of the way the Bureau works is there's there's a director and there's like 12 underneath him that pretty much run the Bureau. To a person, I think they're, they all stink. I think they all have that smell of corruption on them. You know, after that, it evens out. There's good people running offices. Mm-hmm. There's good people running squads. There's good people running uh, programs. You know, but those top people, for whatever reason, have decided to kind of circle the wagons and stop asking questions and not pay attention to following the evidence. That's where I think the general public can get kind of screwed in their heads about, wait a minute, they're weaponizing or they're going after only certain people. Really, the only way, the only way to protect the Bureau's integrity from that accusation, which I kind of got to tell you, I don't disagree with some of it, um, but is to just follow the evidence. That's the bottom line. Here's what happened. Here's our best agents and investigators working on what happened with the best analysts, intel analysts in the Bureau and across other agencies. And we came up with a solution that says there's no way it could have happened this way, but this way, this way, and this way. We're moderately sure. We're confident. We're super confident uh, with regards to how it actually did happen. And go from there. That's let the prosecutors take it and run with that piece. Don't make judgments. Well, you know, I don't feel that that guy's got that in him. So there's no way that this theory, no, it's not about theory. It's about evidence. Prosecutorial theory is different. Once we know that this crime was committed, then there are several different avenues you can take to prosecute. And that's all about looking at what the defense is going to claim as their defense. You know, it's just like a good offensive and defensive coordinator going at each other in a playoff, in a major playoff game in the NFL. Right. What's the weaknesses? We saw it on film. We saw it in their tendencies. Here's what we're going to exploit. That's when you get to the prosecutorial level. But you don't do that as an FBI agent. You follow the evidence. And most of that is following the money. You follow the money. Everything else falls into place. I don't see how that would be disagreeable, because, I mean, when you're following the evidence, then you're able to formulate a strategy of how to approach it as it develops. One million percent. And a lot of the good films and a lot of the good shows, i.e., you know, Manhunter or Mindhunter, and then you look at some of the other good series, which I think Homeland does a great job of it as well, is all about following that evidence and then kind of creating the strategy and, you know, creating the tactics that allow you to pursue uh, a successful investigation, which leads to a successful prosecution, which leads to a successful sentence which hopefully leads to, um, you know, some restitution as for the victims. And then, you know, you've done your job. Uh, it avoids appeal issues. Um, there's no issues there. But when you start just, well, I'm not going to cover up, you know, this part, but I'm not going to cover up this part. I'm just, don't do that. It's like anything else in your life, a good relationship, right? If you're only, I'm not going to tell them that, but I will tell them that, what are you doing? You know, you're either totally open or you're, or you're not, you know, um, you know, that's the beauty of my job uh, along the way, the particular job I had within the federal government and law enforcement was I never really had to tell the truth, not in a bad way, not lying, but I never had to tell what I was actually doing. I wasn't responsible to do that. All, all garnered from my responsibilities on a particular, uh, you know, group of people that did work, especially after 9-11. So it's not, you're not being... The integrity is still there. Um, the honesty and the transparency is still there, but not with everyone. Just with the people that I reported to. And so leadership, and now you're questioning the leadership of the FBI in the current state. But do you think anything else besides the elements inside the FBI are giving it a bad rap? Out? What kind of elements outside of these agencies do you think are just dist- huh? Laziness. I said this on, I think I said this on Dory's podcast, the first part podcast I did with them. It's like a two third rule, right? So, and that's in life. You can find that in life. You know it. I mean, what you do for a living, you know, two out of every three don't really do much within the industry. They may get accolades. They may, you know, ride coattails. 
They may have one little break that helps them to stay where they are and not having to do more. And then one person does the job and does it well. The Bureau has the same thing. One out of every three, you know, basically uh, isn't doing a damn thing. You know, honestly, I hate to say it. It's laziness. It's laziness. And you also have that on the prosecutorial side. Well, you know, I've got, there's a threshold within that particular crime. Therefore, I'm not going to search out amongst others and say, do we have this particular problem across the country, across the state, across the county, across our town, and aggregate that so that you prosecute going forward. If you don't have a good work ethic and a person with a good work ethic, you could miss some significant issues. I think that's what's going on. It's just laziness. Corruption is at the top. The only issue with some of the rank and file is many times it's just a lazy agent or maybe a person who's not cut out for that particular role that they're playing at that point. Again, leadership. Are there any elements outside of these agent agencies do you, do you think are hurting the reputation as well, besides the elements inside that you've described? Oh, you mean, so people, other organizations, other factors outside of the agency that might or mm-hmm. cause it. Um, you know, I've always been a proponent of kind of looking at the financial equity that goes with being a career federal prosecutor, a career FBI agent, career CIA mm-hmm. operative. Um, you know, the best you can do, and I always say this, and I don't know what the number is now. I don't know with something called senior executive service within the federal government, right? So you go up the GS scale, the, the government, uh, what is, was it? I don't even know. The general scale. I think it's called general scale pay scale that goes up to a GS 15, right? 15, no matter what happens, they can't make a dollar more than the leading person in Congress or in the Hill, what, a, what an average senator or congressman makes. So if that's 185 now, that's the most you can make. When you get to that senior executive service role, you can make more, right? It's not a lot more. I think top might be 220, 225, something like that. On Wall Street or in the tech industry or at, you know, PE firms or at engineering firms, that might be, you know, 180 might be a starting salary for a person right out of college who has that particular set of skills. The federal agent has a great set of skills, right? So when you say factors that might affect a lot of times, four, five, six, seven years in, a job offer comes your way. You know, that's in your specialty. It's in your realm. Hey, what do you make? You know, especially in the cyber world, what do you make at the FBI? Well, I'm right now I'm making 155000 Okay, that's great. But we can pay you. That'll be your bonus, your signing bonus. We'd like to hire you for two, you know, 225 with all the bells and whistles. So that's another factor that kind of wields out some of the best and brightest, right? Um, so you have to have a mindset that's a career government servant, career servant leader, not looking at the next job, but, but staying in what you're actually doing. And that's, that's definitely a threat. It's a threat to what we do and how we do it. No, I think economics provides so much incentive. It can affect all sorts of behaviors. You mentioned earlier how damaging social media has been to the culture and how they perceive a multitude of factors or even subjects, whether it's FBI or general law enforcement. Mm-hmm. But I think it's also the fact that economics since 9-11 has been so impactful. It's even affected the way our attention spans, spans function. I mean, we spoke about this earlier about Raymond Hicks, how anybody could easily judge him because they've only seen a snippet of what's happened to him. And economics plays a factor based on the amount of attention people give as opposed to, the, you know, with relation to, to the work they have, as opposed to other subjects that they have the free time to pursue. I mean, I guess the best way of putting it is like, who has time? Many people say that they don't have time to read. They don't dedicate their time to read. But granted, economics has changed so much that the incentive they have time to educate themselves or self-educate themselves has sincerely severely depleted and it's been replaced with this with these technological advances which are nice but they ultimately just they kind of work like as a mitigating dopamine effect i I don't know how to put it i mean they're perfect distractions i mean we could argue that the smartphone is a brilliant device it's a supercomputer in the palm of your hand but because it makes life so much more simple it grabs so much of your attention it's just pulling it in multiple directions but in like short snippets rather than something more whole and sincere. Absolutely. I guess, I mean, 
you mentioned with regards to all the things a person could believe in, and that included God. I'm not a religious person, but I look at other forms of spirituality today, and I can tell that regardless of where you fall under, I can tell what is spiritual and what is just pure entertainment, sensationalism for the sake of mitigating that dopaminergic effect. I mean, I don't know what your background is. I don't know what anyone's background is, but I see like a, take those instance, those mega churches. One thing I don't, as a person who was brought up Catholic and I'm no longer Catholic, I'm not religious at all. I don't think there is an essence of spirituality. I just feel that because religious beliefs come from such an ancient background and there's so much complexity to even those origins that people don't have the time to research that, that they would rather have it provided for them in a simple way. I mean, I don't know how many episodes you've watched of Rogan, but he constantly brings up this book called The Sacred Mushroom and the Cross and how some of the early aspects of Christianity had to probably do with with psychedelics. But I doubt many of the people that go to those entertainment shows, those religious entertainment shows, would be interested in that or anything more complex about the belief system they've been told is objectively right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm not, I, I know I've, I've, I went into many directions while describing that. But again, this is a complex area for me to go when I, that I kind of, kind of lose myself in it when I, I talk about it. Yeah, no, I, and I respect and appreciate, you know, all of that um, for sure. I'm, I was born Catholic, raised Catholic, and now I'm, you know, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer. Um, you know, I walk that walk with, with Jesus Christ every day. Um, and it's, it's been peace. It set my, what I say is it set my panic and procrastination really to peace and patience. It's changed the peas around for me, you know? So that's how I kind of look at it. Um, and I'm not willing to gamble that there isn't anything else, you know, that's a big gamble for me. So okay. I've a lot, done a lot, but totally get what you're saying. And, and I think you, you hit the nail on the head with something where you talked about just that superficial information that doesn't allow anyone to have the deep thinking, you know, to be able to look and analyze for themselves in every situation, right? So if a kid watches something about, I don't know, I, I, I don't even know, you know, uh, uh, economics on TikTok, you say, hey, you can make a hundred bucks a day. And I see this shit, I see it all the time, right? a hundred bucks a day. And, um, you know, all you got to do is this and it's a pyramid scheme. They never think any further than, well, let me take a look and see how maybe I can have a real side hustle that's going to actually earn money. Right. And teach me how to be a businessman, how to budget, how to, you know, pay my bills, how to make sure I'm not in debt. All those things that are appropriate for that age. That was my generation. We had the paper route. We had the little side job. I was a transporter at a hospital in the summers. Um, you know, I would wheel people down to x-ray or wheel them back to their rooms. And, you know, I, I don't, I don't remember what it was. Now I also own Jersey Mike sandwich shops. And I love that. Those are some of my favorite days of dealing with customers and, and customers are not easy. You know, they're not easy. It's all about the, it's, it's really important for me to kind of get to the root of why they're not so happy when they're walking in front of this great sandwich, you know, that they want to eat. Right. Um, I also have it on the other side with, with J3 Global being mm-hmm. able to people, secure people, uh, consult with people about building their security culture within their family or within an organization. A lot of high net worth that I deal with. Um, you know, I've got, I've got uh, tech that I love. I, I just, I'm on strategic advisor for Multitude Insights, which does this tech app called Bulletin, which is going to allow law enforcement to communicate uh, quickly and efficiently with regards to crime problems and actual crime. Um, you know, and, and it's, it's being lauded as the next big thing. And I love it. And the dude that's running it is a guy named Matt White. And he's a Navy, he's a Navy flyer, an aviator, great dude. And uh, I just love having the ability to deep think that stuff. I would have never thought of things like that. Right. So I think the point is, I love what you're saying. And I think you hit the nail on the head. People need to be independent thinkers and social media is not allowing that. Even the evening news is not allowing that. No, it's the fact that we call it mainstream media anymore is kind of redundant. It is. It is, man. And you can watch any channel, whatever opinion or view you want, just turn on the right channel and you'll hear that view. You'll hear nothing else. They'll rip every other view. Independent Independence in the form of thinking is gone. Oh, True. even some independent channels have kind of taken that route, which was very disappointing. I don't know if you're familiar with the... Uh, they're the 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 organization democracy now i used to be a fan of their work but then once they went after 
Joe Rogan last year and not because they went after him that turned me off. It's the way they approached him and how he was being critical of the vaccine Mm -hmm. that they took the same route as CNN or MSNBC in such a biased and uncritical way. And yet they were the ones that were lauded as the the independent news channel that once criticized the Bush administration. Mm -hmm. You know, it was not sensationalized. And that's nowadays you can't you just have to have look at every I mean, there are plenty of independent channels I admire and watch. I watch Patrick Bet David, I watch Danny uh, Concrete, I watch Julian Doré, which is a new podcast. I listen to Ed Calderon. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with Ed Calderon. I've definitely heard of him. I haven't had a chance to really watch. Oh, his podcast is really good, but okay. but at the same time, watching it from a neutral angle, where you're not necessarily siding with him entirely, but you're keeping an open mind. I mean, as I mentioned, I don't agree with Bustamante's view on Edward Snowden, but I don't see it as a way of judging it or condemning my opposition to his views, because at least he has the conviction to not treat you like an idiot when he explains what he's saying. Unfortunately, a lot of people do that. I mean, I don't know how you feel about Edward Snowden and what he did, but you got to at least give the guy credit that he has every opportunity to blast the very agency he used to work for. But he even says himself, there are good people who work in the CIA. Absolutely. I mean, everywhere, you know, everywhere. I, Snowden, I don't say too much about it's a, it's a personal issue. So I don't say that. Uh, you know, I did, I did before and I, I got, I got cracked a little bit. So um, I kind of be careful where I go with that. Julian has a way of getting all that stuff out of me, but um, I've learned on that one. I kind of stay, stay quiet. Um, I know so what you tell, mean. You know what I mean? So tell me, tell me a little bit about, um, you know, your, your pod has been, I've listened to a couple episodes. I think it's really good. Who Who really? is, who is your ideal guest? Like who, if, if, you were saying this is a person I want on this podcast because what would that sound like? I don't know what what is an ideal guest overall. Just someone who is just willing to talk about what I mean, just talk and be honest and sincere about the, where they're coming from. I mean, I've interviewed filmmakers and I would I mean, I would be excited to interview one of my favorite filmmakers, uh, Christopher Nolan, because I mean, I don't know if you've ever watched an interview with him. I've seen interviews of him on the Today Show or MSNBC, and Christ, do I feel bad for him. I mean, he looks like a man who is vastly more intelligent than these than the people that interview him. And in addition to that, because he's never had the chance to really express his, his intelligence verbally, I feel that a lot of his films make people want to judge where he stands politically. I just recently published an article on my Substack on his third Batman film, The Dark Knight Rises, and how it possibly could have, not intentionally, but in a way predicted Donald Trump. Not Mm. because he was trying to get a political message, but because that film came out in 2012, not even three years after the 2008 financial crisis, which was like a massive wake, wake up call for American culture. And you can see that disparity within the tone of the film. And the fact that the main antagonist of the film, Bane, is able to mobilize blue collar members of Gotham City by pretending to be this revolutionary. He's not act being a revolutionary. He's merely pretending as if he understands where they're coming from and he's able to mobilize them. And I know you express your disapproval of Trump. I don't like him either. But you've done it in a way where it's critical and you understand how he was able to convince people that he was basically empathizing with their own positions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, great points all across. And, you know, my thing is, uh, I, I do not like leaders that don't listen, you know, or they listen and then they still make the decision that is prideful. And from this point, and from that point of view, people take it that, oh, Christopher Nolan must be right wing. They think he was provide that he produced an anti leftist film. And even his second Batman film, The Dark Knight, one of the most controversial scenes in that film was the scene, the wiretapping scene, where Batman basically develops a sonar system that allows him to spy on five million people Mm -hmm. all at once. And even though the scene is openly criticizing him, it's just presenting it. And letting yeah. you determine for yourself, especially with on the circumstances. Hell, even the ending. I I wrote a similar review on a different film, but how it applied a dim- similar concept to basically Socrates' noble lie principle, where mm-hmm. what 
our societies can only function on the idea of a lie or some forms of secrecy. And I know Bustamante has spoken about this with regards to UFOs, that there are just some secrets human beings can't handle. Although I'm not really a big fan of secrets being kept from a major public, if I was in that situation where it was determined by me, I don't know what I would do, but I can't openly condone or condemn the person in that position because it's not an easy burden to bear. And in the end of the dark night, you see after Harvey Dent, the character has murdered all his people. And if everybody found out that the first non-corrupt district attorney of a major city in a long time was discovered to be a criminal and had lost his mind, it would just undo all the progress they'd done. And if I was in that situation, I probably would have done what Batman did. Lie. Mm -hmm. No, I can't judge. I got to rewatch that. Definitely. Um, So my, my favorite film of all time, the original Jaws. Really? Yep. Love it. Can't get enough of it. It's hard for me with Spielberg because I haven't seen a film of his in a long time, but I guess the one that resonated with me was Close Encounters of the of the Third Kind. I get just the way it was presented, but it's been a while since I've seen, seen Jaws. I've never, I saw bits of the fourth one, but I know that the best thing that they say about that is that Michael Caine was able to buy his mother a house. Yeah. <laughs> Some good came out of it. <laughs> yeah. And the, and the, it was personally, the shark was like, yeah, I got to get these people. Um, but yeah, I, I just thought the filmmaking, the whole kind of suspenseful piece, and I think it was a it was a good time in my life. You know, it came out in 1975. You know, I was a 12, 11 year old kid living at the Jersey Shore. Uh, I could still remember going off to the theater with my, you know, my whole family and my cousins. We all lived on the same block. From where I sit now, it's less than two miles away, uh, probably a mile and a half away. That that beach house that we had, and um, yeah, I just remember that whole kind of, man, are we going to go, you know, 11, 12-year-old boys, we're going to go back in the, oh, we can't go back in the ocean. What if this was, you know, got to be careful, don't splash a lot. Don't wear, you know, don't, I just remember that. I think that was a big part of it. So I love that movie. I watch it, you know, every June 30th. And then, you know, we watch it again on on uh, July 4th weekend. So, you know, kind of the whole, mm. whole I'm kind of a, um, you know, in Amity Island, I'm on this, I'm in this group that talks about the different spots to visit. I've been to Martha's Vineyard, Nantucket, Block Island, you know, Montauk, always like asking about people's views of shark fishing and the like. So I, I think I, I think in another life, I was a shark fisherman, had to be. because I'm, I'm, so, There's something nice about that experience you described, because I think even with regards to this podcast and discussing film, I feel that experience has kind of died down in terms of the culture because nowadays either people don't go to the movies or just the experience of going to the movies has kind of lost that essence. I agree. I agree. I think that's a big part of it, right? The last film I saw of family was the, the recent James Bond film. And I noticed something in the theater while sitting down, everybody, most everybody was on their phones and I'm just like, unbelievable. It's weird. You know, I know, um, the one that just came out, uh, Sounds of Freedom, with regards to human trafficking. Mm-hmm. Um, my sister and my niece went to that the other night, and they said the theater was packed again. And it just felt, and there was a flavor of, you know, people interacting, you know, people, uh, emotion, you know, talking to each other. Wow, that was, in, you know, even like a, a bit of, when a movie ended, and I don't know, I haven't seen it, but I hear it's emotional you kind of walk out of there beaten up and um, you realize there's a significant problem with human trafficking and child labor and all those things that happen um and child slavery uh, the whole deal so um she said it was just an amazing experience it felt like when she was a kid going to the movies you know and being responding and, and acting um and with accordance to the way the the flow of the film and the flow of the audience went so it's cool to hear so i'm going to try to go see it here this week I'm curious about it myself because I heard there's, con- I don't know what the controversy around it is. I mean, it shouldn't be controversial to believe that human trafficking is bad, but I guess it's because of the actor, Jim Caviezel. I've only seen him in one thing and that's Passion of the Christ. Passion of the Christ, right. Yep. The only thing, I, the thing I've really wanted to see with him is actually a show by the brother of Chris Nolan, Jonathan Nolan, called Person of Interest. And I heard that's a science fiction Yes. Show. Yes, I remember. I watched an episode or two. It was very good. Yeah, it was very, very good. And then I just, uh, yeah, I, I stopped. I stopped watching. I don't know why. I had no reason. Just it was good. I enjoyed it. But yeah, person of interest. Yep. 
it's like a computer-based recognition program that helped you know kind of move cases forward if i remember right and it probably got deeper as the show went on but those are the first episodes i watched but yeah, with regards to the, my final thoughts on that idea, I was discussing about how the experience of the cinema has changed where it's kind of lost its essence. I mean, we mentioned in our phone call that I could never see a film like The Godfather being made today because of not just depleted attention spans, but just the culture itself has been wind down to the point where they would just rather focus on more simplistic things. Like, I don't know. I just feel that if I was to live, grow up in the era of that of, of The Godfather, I probably would have... I probably would have had a different experience than I do now. Absolutely. Yeah, totally get it. Totally get it. Yeah, yeah, man. So, um, yeah, so, so I'm, I'm, um, I'm thinking I, I, how much I enjoyed this experience and, and I'd, I'd open it up. I'd love to do it again if you're up for it. Um, Absolutely. I'd love to help you any way I can. If I can help to, um, I think you're onto something big. Love to help you with, you know, helping with guests and the like, you know, please, please feel free to call on me. This was oh, great. For me. It was wonderful. Do you know anybody that would love to share their views or just anybody whose brain I could pick? Because as I mentioned, I mean, just, I've actually gotten in contact with Julian on Twitter and he, I asked him some pointers of how to speak with you because at the end of the day, I was anxious about this because I've never spoken to someone who's worked for the FBI or CIA. And I just, I don't know how you go about that. I mean, uh, you, you did, man, this was, this was a great interview. This was a great interview. You know, you're, you're, you're spot on. So thank you. I want to thank you. And, uh, you know, even, even for in the course of my, my business and what I do, if I could ever help, you know, I'm here to help you out. So, well, if you know anybody else who would like to get their views out there or just, just because I feel that a lot of individuals like yourself have so much to say, regardless of what industry they speak in, and just introducing a multitude of intellectual perspectives can just get people to think more because that's ultimately the aim of this podcast. Even though it's centered around film, I told you that film in many ways has educated me to looking at the world at a broader perspective of different perspectives of how people look at it. I mean, you can watch one movie and then another movie and understand that each offer has their own perspective on the world and you have to be empathetic towards it. Not sympathetic, but empathetic to understand where they're coming from. I think it's important and we kind of touched on that along the way just you know independent thinking right and taking people's views for what they are and garnering out of that what you can to help move your things forward in life and that's the that's the goal it's the goal here well jim i want to thank you again for doing this and uh if i i certainly would be very open to doing this again again and if you know anybody else who would like to be on this podcast i it would be an honor to speak with them because i know that you can vouch for them and they must I mean, if they're good friends of yours, I totally trust your judgment. Absolutely, we'll do that. Let's we'll we'll speak offline and we'll uh, we'll figure out a plan of attack and how uh, we can help each other. This is great. Well, turn plan of attack, but then again, coming from an FBI agent, I wouldn't expect us. <laughs> Definitely, man. Well, well, thank you so much, and um, I want to say, you know, it's just been a great experience. Oh, thank you very much again. I um, I also want to thank you for your service because I know that being in the industry you've been in required a lot of sacrifice and I guess I think it's just something I should always do. Thank you for your service. Thank you. I appreciate you saying that. It means a lot. You have a good day. All right. You too, man. Be well. Be well.